Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Tearsheet Podcast, where we explore financial services together with an eye on technology, innovation, emerging models, and changing expectations. I'm Tearsheet Editor-in-Chief, Zach Miller. And for today's episode, we're embarking on an insightful journey with two professionals I've spoken to a few times over the years. They're the co-founders at the helm of Current, a pioneering neobank based in the heart of New York City. Joining us are CEO Stuart Sopp and Trevor Marshall, the CTO, both instrumental in helping to shape the landscape of modern banking for everyday Americans. Recorded in September 2023, we dive deep into the genesis of Current's latest product, at least at the time, the Current Builder Card. But beyond that, we explore the broader trends impacting financial services and its customers. From the impact of inflation and rising interest rates to the evolving needs of Gen Z consumers, we dissect the challenges and opportunities facing today's banking industry. Here's my conversation with Currents, Stuart and Trevor. Hi, my name is Stuart Sopp. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Currents. Current is a uh, neobank based here in New York that um, banks people, uh, everyday Americans, uh, just trying to make it work. I'm uh, Trevor Marshall, CTO, co-founder here at Current. I'm helping Stu make that a reality. So we've been speaking for years, guys, and it's great to catch up. It's, it has been a while. Um, I know you have a new product out, a credit builder card. Let, let's start there. Like, what was the genesis of the card? And and tell us a little bit about the product. I think from a macro perspective, maybe helpful. Um, in 2022, we saw inflation and the commensurate federal uh, funds rate, uh, Fed funds rate um, really just uh, accelerate, right? So uh, extremely high inflation, um, cost of money going up, and we were drawing some uh, strategic plans and realizing and recognizing that over the next you know few years that living day to day with groceries the fuel obviously with the war in the ukraine and things like this um inflation is going to be high for longer and the cost of money would be high for longer and so it is never we, we we just posited that it would never be more important to build your credit to get in good standing because people are just going to need um more and more um, credit or lending to get by over the next few years. And we've seen that in some of the data most recently in, in credit card data, in mortgage data, in auto loan data and things like that. So um, credit building is the right uh, product we felt. Um, and so it obviously has a long lead time on these things and Trevor can go into that. But uh, we think this is the right product at the right time for, for our members. Yeah, and to add on to that, the thing that was really important for us was making sure that we were building a product that could seamlessly integrate with our members' lives. We didn't want to create an experience that was bifurcated or required a lot of management in order to get the benefits from using the product. Um, and so we we extended a lot of the core technology that we've been building over the last eight years to make it possible so that we've really integrated this credit building card as a secured charge card um, deeply into the banking experience so that we can really deliver on the promise of being a bank account that builds your credit. So I'm, I'm familiar with secured cards. Can you talk a little bit about, I guess, the, the user experience here? Yeah, so the key thing that we did in order to, to make this possible is we set up sort of dynamically securing funds as they, as they flowed into the checking account um, that our members have with us. Um, and so what that allows us to do is to have an available to spend balance on the credit card um, that is it mirrors very closely what is going on 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 the checking account side. It's completely separate. It's governed by a different regulation. And it's actually even with a different partner bank. But what we've done is we've we've taken that all of that complexity, which is, you know, multiple banks, multiple products, and we've 
we've taken on that complexity. We're managing it on behalf of our customers so that when the user experiences it, they're seeing a sort of aggregated experience where they don't have to think too much about how the product is working. They just know that when they use their credit card, they're building their credit history. And was this something that, um, I guess you saw it in the data, Stu, but was this something you were hearing from your from your customers? Is this something that they wanted? They're trying to get on the credit ladder? Yeah. So um, from a strategic sense, we're sort of looking forward 18 months. Um, it takes like six to nine months to build a product. So, so that was our side of things. And then there's talking to our customers. So we're obviously very close uh, from our customer research department and our product managers. Um, who do surveys, they do interviews, um, and obviously we look through all the feedback that we get through various points of the customer's journey all the way through to member experience. And it was pretty clear that this was um, a, a pain point that hadn't been solved totally um, uh, by existing solutions. Now, just to build on what Trevor's saying, like typically in the market, you would have very high um, liquidity costs on a credit building card. So you need to put two to $500 down, you know, the traditional credit builder you get mm -hmm. from a credit unit there. That was a phenomenal invention, by the way, for, for credit unions. But I think, you know, the, the, no risk. the, the world has no risk, yeah, no yeah. risk, but the market has moved on and, and even getting that, you know, two to $500 from your friends and family is a painful experience for many, many people, especially with the cost of, of stable goods and, and fuel and et cetera going up. And so, um, being able to dynamically secure is, is a really big thing. So uh, for the customer's point of view, they're getting paid uh, with their payroll into current and literally pressing a button, getting a new card, and all of a sudden using it as if you were using a debit card, so like a checking account, um, and building credit uh, every month, I think, is, is, is a game changer. There's no attach like existing incumbent solutions. You'd have to then fund a separate account. You'd have to find that money, um, and you'd have to really be... Um, um, I would say very cautious around, um, you know, your, your payment schedules and things like, things like this, the way that Trevor and the team at current have built this has, has really de-risked, um, credit building to, to the point where I think it's extremely valuable and exciting for, for many of our members. And they were telling us that this was a problem they wanted solving. Yeah. And, and another key thing about the product and the way that we brought it to market is that it really teaches sort of the right payment behavior. So we're generating those invoices, uh, you know, credit statements on a monthly basis. Um, the users can opt into auto pay, but many of them don't. And so there is risk for delinquency like there is on any sort of credit building um, product, but we've really guided users towards adopting the best behaviors, the best possible practices to ensure that they are, are really getting the biggest benefits out of the product. So let's talk a little bit more about um, your customers, because I mean, part of the research shows, at least from what we've seen, is that Gen Z in particular is somewhat credit averse, although I think that's that's changing as, as they get older and maybe the economy gets worse. Um, and that was sort of their predilection towards buy now, pay later. Is there a hurdle here to kind of convince them to, to adopt this product or is it something readily the way you built it, the way you've onboarded it, that, that's relatively, um, I guess, low, low touch? I think um, from our data, early data, it's been out for a couple of months now, there is almost no hurdle um, for people uh, to sign up for this. And so existing users as well as new users who are coming through. So we're seeing a decent amount of our existing customers and members switch over. And mm -hmm. um, and obviously a lot of people uh, from, from, from new account growth. 
Um, I think when Gen Z, we, we do extremely well at current for, for the 18 to 35s. I, I think we're sort of market leading in that demographic. Um, and so, uh, and, and, and so we, we, we kind of have the data. I think it's an age thing and also a macroeconomic thing around, um, uh, around the credit um, uh, demand. And that, that will just change over time because of all the structural reasons that we've you know, just mentioned. So I think having this product, building credit safely, understanding user behavior and, and helping to adjust it. Also, we, we have um, uh, credit building and understanding credit 101. We have education in the app. We have um, how the bureaus work. There's a real understanding. And it's not just for Gen Z. There's, you know, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm 46 and still trying to learn how some of this stuff works as a, as a personal consumer, making sure that I can be the most effective um, uh, at, at building my credit. And so I think this is a this is an every person product. And, and, I, and I think the way you don't want to be paternal, uh, 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 paternalistic and top down, but you do need to explain things in an easily consumable way. And, you know, this is an attention deficit for everyone now. And so making sure that the app is impactful, the message is on point and that there there is true value and true credit building coming out with 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 user behavior change one of the things that's um impressed me about you guys from the beginning is that you have taken sort of this long view of, of building your own business as well as servicing your customers um do you imagine that this is um a product from which they will graduate that you know current will have another product for them afterwards like how how are you thinking about um I guess their maturation, your users' maturation over time. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. So um, we want long-lasting uh, relationships with our customers, um, and we've we've grown with them. Many of them from a very young age, and you know, the average age on current right now is probably 30, 32, somewhere there. And so there is a natural graduation uh, demand um, for for credit, for lending, um, and for other products as we go forward. We we have typically grown with our customers over time and, and Trevor can maybe talk to the to some of the the technology shifts that we're seeing but from a from a competitive and macro perspective I think the deposit wars of 2015 to 2020 were somewhat set and I think from 2021 to 25 28 I think lending and credit is is the is the other half of this um, th this thing we'll see because of persistent inflation because of the persistent demand. Uh, and the cost of money that is just higher now. And so there will be a need for this, um, for our members and this this section of the country to have affordable, fair credit. Um, and that comes with behavior change and all sorts of other product innovations that we're building. Yeah, and, and the technology that's required to do that is basically ensuring that we can blend banking and lending in a very natural way. So that as as users move through that credit journey or that banking journey, they still need the checking account. They still need all of the functionality that sort of ties you to the beginning of where we started, um, but then they need a little bit more from there. So yes, that's that's very much part of the both product technology strategy that Stu's laying out. And I, I agree that you know you guys are doing a, a really knockout job servicing um, this this demographic. I'm kind of curious how you're growing, how they're growing as well. Like what's different are you hearing from them today versus what you were hearing from them a couple of days ago, a couple of years ago, sorry. And I guess like has the way that you serve them both with products, ha have you changed internally in, in how you respond to them? Have structures changed, team structures changed? I'm kind of curious, like trying to use you guys as like almost like a uh, 
appear behind the curtains for like another financial institution that wants to go after this this type of demographic? Like, what would they need to do better to be able to get to where you guys are? It's a really good question. I think distribution um, is product led still and value led, mm -hmm. and I think you've got to you've got to have a lot of value and you need to be very, you know, uh, extremely concentrated messaging. You don't get a lot of time with, with customers. And so making sure that your brand translates to the things that you you're offering, I think is also a, a really big linkage. And then finally, the retention aspect, it's not enough just to have, um, you know, some liquidity and things like this, there's other things in people's lives, other experiences in money movements, um, in, in savings and budgeting and the, you know, how to be more efficient, um, and, and allocate your capital and your time better through in, in the financial services. I think there's a lot of product iteration, and a lot of things that can come out from that of which our technology lends itself to. Um, and so, yeah, for, for, for a team change in structure, yeah, we changed um, how we worked actually at the beginning of the year, um, mainly centered around um, how we deployed the credit bin. So we've been, you know, bank uh, issuing banks and, and debit and debit bins and debit interchange and, and real banking things like I've just mentioned, like five years, eight years and that kind of thing. And as we're going into this other side uh, of credit and, and lending, um, it requires a, a reorg. So we reorged in January and it was painful. <laughs> it took some time. And I think you're smiling still now, still which is good. Trailer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's good. Yeah. It, it's, it's just hard. It's hard for everyone. Right. So and, and also old habits die hard. Um, and so that was for us to be more efficient, to have more ownership uh, and accountability around certain things. And so, um, yeah, it, it's been really good. Um, and that's all the way, all the way um, uh, from 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 some of our smaller departments all the way through to the bigger departments and and all levels of seniority. And so painful change, painful growing uh, lesson, um, but just needed to be done. And, and and we're starting to reap the benefits of that with this product launch and and, and various other things that we're launching this year. So um, so so yeah, I, I th you know um, that 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 is definitely something that I think unlocks. Um, product innovation, in, and this is a product innovation cycle for for distribution. Um, yeah, yeah, and, uh, and on the product side in particular, organizing really around the customer need um, and understanding what jobs need to be done for them, um, and, and making sure that we have a roadmap that backs that up across the teams that are focused on that has been really important too. So shifting the way that we think about product, think, shifting the way that we think about business. Um, and ensuring that we have sort of throughout that the the technology, the engineering, sort of all the components that we've been building on for for a long time. So yeah, it's 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 definitely if you're if you're um, you know like a large bank trying to make innovation in the space, it does require that cultural shift in order to get towards the actual product and, and business shift as well. And I know you guys are very thoughtful about um, I guess what you provide to your customers. And I have to assume there's, there's a, there's a gravitational pull to, and whether it's from investors or whatever, to, to launch new, new products against a lot of different things. Obviously there's a lot of things you can do here. Um, how do you determine um, what, what you decide that, you know, current should do versus uh, saying, no, that's kind of outside of our purview, at least, or outside of our purview, at least now. Yeah, there's a nostar metric for current, which is our payrollers. So people who uh, direct deposit, 
um, who are you know gainfully employed with one or more, typically several jobs. Um, and mm -hmm. so that is a complex data issue in itself to to um, to do, which is another differentiator to compared to a bank, right? So they're not looking at any of this stuff. And so when it comes to value, obviously there's jobs to be done for the customer. And then there's how do we enable people who are getting paid um, uh, to get uh, quicker access to, to their money, cheaper access uh, to their money. And how can we enable them? And how can we enable them to progress in life? That is um, pushing them forward, right? So these are progress seekers. These are people who are optimistic, who are working hard, who are everyday Americans. And there's a lot of friction um, in the existing financial um, services um, that sort of holds them back. And so making sure that products enable them and doesn't hold them back, right? And so, so everything's through that lens. Um, and then we've done, you know, with that reorg, um, great steps in data and how that, you know, feeds through into segmentation, into targeting, into um, um, really how to prioritize products. And so we're using a lot of that um, reorg work has been extremely helpful in, in being able to prioritize, listening to customers, understanding what their needs and wants are, and then prioritize internally. I would add this though, when you ask people what they want, I think it was Henry Ford, they asked for faster horses. And so you've, you've, you, you know, if you're building automobiles, you gotta, you gotta make sure we're, we're here for the innovation. We're here to uh, build upon the infrastructure that Trevor and his team have built, which is the Ferrari engine. And so we got to make sure we're going to clad that and make it look like uh, as well as is, 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 its form and function are there. And so we got to listen to customers and understand what there's their core need. What are they really saying? What is the thing? And then what is the solution to that? And there's a, they're not always one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, mm -hmm. We've been doing this for a little while. And so, uh, and so sometimes, you know, you, you, more experienced hands here uh, are, are helpful. Trevor, I know one of the narratives we've had since we've spoken over the past few years has been around um, building the platform in such a way that was uh, Web3, call it. And I think one of the narratives I remember you sharing with me was, you know, the world wasn't quite ready, you know, for that Ferrari that Stuart just talked about. And instead, like you sort of had to deliver products that look and smell like traditional banking products. Is, is that still like part of the, the ethos? I mean, a big part of what we've said from sort of the beginning is that you know, finance 2.0 or 3.0, wherever you want to measure the, the major version, um, isn't quite ready from a user perspective. Mm -hmm. And so our job is to be that bridge between more traditional banking products and sort of the future of banking products. The, the big thing that, that, that we're trying to drive is the, the, the changing nature of money, which is going from a very physical sort of, you know, you go, you go to a branch, you meet a person, you put cash in to a digital, um, form of money. And that goes everywhere from literally like, I never need to walk into a branch to like, I need to be able to make payments to my friends. I need to be able to pay merchants seamlessly online or in store. So this is actually a much bigger shift than sort of like the specific narrow, like crypto implementation or web three implementation. We definitely have a lot of those ethos. Um, I think that is something that we think about when we, when we think about how products come together and the composability of it, you know, one of the things that makes Web3 or like open platforms unique is that every time you're adding something to the system, it increases the value of the entire system because there's a right. built-in compatibility um, just by the nature of like it being content addressable and all, all like those 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 nice principles. That's not really ready for consumer adoption because there's there's a lot of product that needs to be built in that space. But that that ethos, that methodology, is something that we built into our own core 
stack. So all of the products and services that we build can talk to each other. And that might mean, hey, when we're looking at your ability to get a cert access to a certain product, we can tie in a lot more data from different parts of the system. We can personalize your experiences, potentially the points offers you're getting, the interest that you're earning um, on your savings. All of these things can be tied together in a very native way. And that's in both our live production systems, like what people actually interact with the product, and then our analytics and downstream customer data platform. So all of those things like that, uh, um, the homogenous nature of, of that data and that, that access, that, that's very much carrying the ethos of the composability that, that has been a really exciting development um, sort of out of Web3, but more broadly in financial services over the last 10 years. I can, yeah. Uh, I got Please one thing it. to add, Zach, on that, on yeah. Web3. I've been thinking about this recently. Trevor and I have been talking about stable coins and things like this and kind of coming to this conclusion that Web3 adoption will be driven by central bank digital currencies. I think it, politics aside, right, and philosophy aside, because there are some significant risks with enacting a central bank digital currency, and it looks like Europe may be further ahead uh, than other countries, especially America. Um, well, we're just so going to do I it think, through PayPal or USDT probably. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> like we always do. Yeah, it will be a exactly. private company. It'll be USDC. Exactly. Well, there's other ways. There's a, there are other business models out there, which Trevor and I have talked about extensively. But um, we can maybe another podcast. But the uh, but I think the adoption will be driven actually by the governments. That uh, makes sense. Seeking control yeah. and like trying to fight high or even very high inflation over the next five years. And I think that will be the reason for those things to be um, distributed and adopted and maybe even a very high unemployment, so ability to do that. And I think then that brings up the private side, like you said, Zach. So the private side is going to be the anti-government sort of, um, hey, we need our own control and our own thing outside of this. And I think that's the Web3 adoption is then you'll have a, a mix of these systems. Now, there will be a sort of um, a distribution rush, I think, from... When a central bank says, hey, we're doing this thing, some part of M M2 is now digital, everyone's going to need to build that wallet. Everyone's going to need, every bank is going to have to put that in there. And so the, the adoption will be, I think, top down from there and then from the private sector bottom up in response to that. And I think, like, just look, reading the news like everyone else, it's over the next five years. And so we're a little early as we are, always are, but we are well prepared for both sides of that equation. <laughs> Yeah, you guys are early and I guess it's good to be early as long as you're well capitalized, right? Like you're headed in the right direction. There is um, <laughs> what, what's next? We have time for one last question. I'm, I'm curious what's next for you guys as you look down the rest of this year into 2024. You just got through this major reorg at the beginning of this year. Like, you know, what, what's next for you guys, whether it's products or doing what you're doing better? I, I, I'm just curious, like, you know, what's that? What's, yeah. what's the look ahead for current look like? It's, it's all those things. So doing what we're doing better is, is, is a real focus for us. Um, path to profitability is, is obviously external pressure. You know, everyone, everyone is going this way. And so we, we have laid our path to profitability, um, um, which we have one. And, and, and so being myopically focused on that, um, as well as our customers' needs. And our customers' needs are more lending, safer lending, different ways to cut it. Uh, business model innovation around that. And so we, we're really focused on on those three prongs, which is doing better, um, making sure that we can offer as much liquidity as we can, as safely as we can um, to our customers, 
um, and then all the all the all the meanwhile making sure that the company gets to where it needs to be so that we can continue to innovate and do these uh, um, and, and help as many millions of Americans as we can. Stuart, Trevor, thanks for joining us on the Tearsheet podcast today. Thanks, Zach. Yeah, thank you, Zach.